Hello and welcome to the Stalk and I podcast for solo parents and those considering solo parenthood by donor conception. I'm your host Mel Johnson, the solo parenthood coach and solo mum to my five-year-old daughter. Series six of the podcast is focused on solo parenthood stories and speaking to a range of solo mums about their path to parenthood. Before we dive into today's episode, I want to signpost you to three quick things. Number one, the Stalker 9 newsletter. Have you subscribed? It comes out once a month and it signposts everything going on solo parenthood that you might want to know about. This month's newsletter is jam-packed full of information about where to start. So for somebody at the very beginning of your journey, it's an excellent one. Where to start from a medical point of view, where to start from a nutrition point of view. I've got a guest podcast and a guest blog post. Um, If you haven't subscribed, I'll put the link to subscribe in the show notes. The second thing to highlight is this month's Thriving Solo podcast, which is available for Thriving Solo members for $2.99 a month. This month's episode is with Ed Coates, who's the medical director at the Evewell Clinic, and he talks to me all about exactly where to start. If you're at the beginning of your journey and want advice on the process, this is the episode for you. Then lastly, July and August are super busy months for meetups. We've got our camping trip at the end of July. We've got our annual solo mum party in Southport at my house in the middle of August. And we've got a Surrey meetup at a farm park at the beginning of August. Anybody who's interested in getting involved in any of those meetups, head over to the Thriving Solo website where all the information is available. And now let's meet today's guest, Solo mum to her donor conceived daughter, Alpa. Alpa, so nice to have you on the podcast today. Thank you very much, Mel. Delighted to be here. Uh, before we get started on the discussion, do you want to give yourself a bit of an introduction? Um, so I'm Alpa. I am, I'll be 48, I guess, when this comes out. I had my little girl, Mia, who's now five, when I was 42 after two failed IUIs and one successful IVF. She is the light of my life and also the bane of my life. (laughs) (laughs) That resonates. (laughs) Yeah, but I just can't imagine a single day without her now. She has made me into a better person. She just inspires me every single day. It's just amazing. I feel like I'm filling up a little bit. That's a lovely, <laughs> a lovely introduction. So can we start at the beginning? Where yeah. did it all start for you? When did you start considering solo parenthood? So um, when I was a small child, people used to ask me what I wanted to be when I grew up. That standard question that you get. Um, and I never knew. I never had a career that I wanted to do. Careers days at school and stuff. I was like, I'm in an iron about various different things. I was never, I want to be a doctor, I want to be, you know, a writer, I want to be whatever. Um, But I knew I always wanted to be a mum, probably from the age of four or five, maybe. Um, I've not had a lot of luck relationship-wise. I got to my 40th and I thought, I'm going to just give this one last go and kind of, there, there is a bit of a family history of an early menopause, kind of early 40 menopause in my family as well so um I knew that time might not be on my side um I think even when you hit 40 anyway you realize that 
kind of big, bit of a big alarm clock alarm call for you sorry yeah so I kind of gave tinder and stuff a bit of bit of another go and then at 41 ish I kind of started looking into it um I was living in London at the time working a corporate job in the NHS and all of that entails and stuff um and I was on the tube and I saw an advert for um London's women's clinic for an what do they call them an open in- evening yeah, but they've, they've got a name for them that they advertise it. It's like an in, Sperminar or something like that. Oh, I love it. I've not heard of that. <laughs> I can't remember. <laughs> um, so I went along with a friend um, just to kind of figure out what my options were. I didn't really know where to start. I would have been so grateful to have had you around at that time. <laughs> but um, our, our little girls are quite close in age, so we would have been pregnant at the same time. True. Um, <laughs> um, and... Um, yeah, went along and then decided, I think, Christmas 2016 to go for it um, and got pregnant in the June of 2017. And how difficult was it for you to make that decision once you'd been to that open evening? Were you grieving the traditional fairy tale or at that point were you like, no, I'm just doing this? Well, I'd always made the joke, you know, if I don't find someone, <laughs> I'll do it by myself, which yeah. I think a lot of us do anyway. Yeah. Um, you know, if I don't find someone by this age, if I don't find someone by whatever age. And I think when I went to that open evening, it just kind of all clicked and fell into place. And I, from that moment, I was like, this is the path that I want to do. And I didn't have any doubts from that moment. Um, obviously, I didn't realise all that it would entail fully. Um, but I'm the kind of person that once they make a decision, that's it you know, they've, they've made that decision. And I think probably subconsciously, I was thinking about it a long time before I realised I was thinking about it. Um, so yeah, when I went to that open evening, which I think was the summer of 2016, then I decided, right, that's it, I'm going to go for it. I was lucky enough to have savings to pay for the treatment. So I knew I could just, just go ahead and do it. And so you started with IUI. Yes. And then did you just decide after two actually I want to just give IVF a trial did someone recommend that the consultant recommended IVF um, there was an issue with the lining of my womb so he suggested IVF may be a better option and went through what that would entail I mean I knew that IVF was hard I didn't realize how hard it probably is kind of if I see somebody talking about IVF on tv or um, on a you know a podcast or something like that it's a trigger for me now right um, and it just gets me really, I can feel myself getting upset now talking about it because everyone I'd known who'd gone through IVF um, and, and told people about it afterwards, they talked about how hard it was doing it as a couple and doing those injections, dealing with that mental, emotional roller coaster of it as a couple. And when you are doing it by yourself and you're having to inject yourself and, you know, take all the drugs and deal with a two-week wait by yourself and you know you've got other people you've got family members who are there for you but you're the only one who's fully invested in that process and outcome so yeah it's the hardest thing I've ever had to do and fortunately and I realized how lucky I am because they did give me a less than 10% chance of getting pregnant I got pregnant the first time (laughs) wow so how many embryos did you create four and the first one was... Um... Yeah, so four, they were all um, 
this is crazy isn't it the terminology means so much to you at the time yeah. <laughs> and five years on it you just but they were all the kind of top grade and they were amazed yeah. the embryologist said to me that she was amazed that um someone my age had managed to produce four top grade embryos and they all got to blastocyst phase um and they put two back in and one became Mia wow so they put what was the rationale for putting two in my age I guess and you know the chances of IVF I think after a certain age they do put two back in anyway right um just because the chances of it working with one are so small and my chances of getting pregnant were so small um but I guess it just goes to show you that it takes just one egg yeah <laughs> um, and one sperm and a warm home for it to grow <laughs> yeah You've been reading those books, Alpha, <laughs> that we read to our children. Yeah. And what about choosing a sperm donor? How easy did you find that? So I used the London Sperm Bank. It was right opposite the Women's Clinic on Harley Street. So I thought, I didn't even look elsewhere. I just thought it's just easier getting it, getting the, no, it literally just has to cross a road. Yeah. <laughs> um, about, you know, 50 yards across the road. So they've got an app, which is kind of a bit Tinderish. Um, I don't know if the app's still the same, but you've just got lots and lots of profiles. The first time, I had a very good friend. Um, we watched that Jennifer Lopez film, The Backup. Yeah, yeah The Backup. <laughs> um, and we kind of went through through them on there. Um, the second time, we got drunk picking a donor. <laughs> very like <laughs> Tinder the, then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then the third time, um, I think I just went, oh, he looks all right. The thing that caught me was his little pen profile thing that the, the staff had written about him, right. saying that he's very altruistic, he cares a lot about other people, and he's doing this because he's had friends who've struggled to conceive and he wants to help other people. He's very kind of warm-hearted and generous. And I just thought, I know you probably shouldn't think about it from a dating point of view, but I thought that's the kind of person that I'm attracted to, kind of as a partner anyway. So I thought that's what I want. Also, he was tall. And I'm not very tall, and it, unfortunately, it's not worked with Mia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, she's one of the smallest in a class, but um, yeah, um, yeah. So that's that was all, it, and it was quite a quick decision the last time I did it. And I don't know because I didn't put as much thought in it. I don't know whether or not that had an impact mm. on you know, but um, yeah, I have since contacted the contacted the HFEA um, and waiting to find out if we've got any half siblings and what's your what's your view on half siblings would you be interested to connect or I would but I would wait till Mia was would be older um so that she can make the decision because they're her half siblings they're not my half, half siblings yeah um I want to have all the information ready for her for when she um asks those questions she's only five so she doesn't understand that there is a possibility she does want me to have you know a baby because lots of her friends have got little brothers and sisters that's not going to happen now. I'm but. so lucky with Daisy because she's not interested in like so really? many people say that they want a sibling and Daisy just doesn't seem she doesn't I think yeah. I think I know that she wouldn't like having one because yeah. she, the problem is she wants all my attention as it is and imagine yeah. it to have much less attention but yeah she's not asked for one this must be hard when they're they're asking and yeah it, it is quite hard and I would I would love to have another one my mm. friends who've had you know other babies you know you see them and you get broody you're holding the baby you've got that newborn yeah. newborn smell and yeah um, I went shopping with my mum the other day and we were in a, you know looking at all the tiny little 
clothes and stuff and tiny little shoes and but I remember that's how I used to feel when I used to you know buy stuff for other people's kids and you know I feel extremely blessed and lucky to have got pregnant in the first place and carried and had given birth and now have a boisterous sassy Mm -hmm. funny clever five-year-old who just cracks me up every single day I don't think I've ever laughed as much (laughs) as I do when she's around Brilliant. Brilliant. On the topic of donor siblings, one of the community has written a book on how to talk to your child about having donor siblings, which I've not seen before, actually. Yeah, I'll I'll share that on the show notes for anyone who's interested, because yeah, um, that'd be really good. I think it's um, there's so many books now to talk to your child about their conception, but not necessarily to explain about other people who might have um, been um, have the same donor so um so yeah I'm I'm looking forward to reading that because I haven't tackled that subject with Daisy yet because yeah. I suppose I'm really confident in talking about the conception but I'm less confident in talking about yeah. the siblings so yeah I guess you know that whole thing especially the, the work that you've done around donor conceived children and stuff from the DCN as well you know to talk to them from an early age before yeah. they even understand it to get to that you get the story straight in your own head but it's not so much about the the siblings part of it. Yes, um, exactly. Yeah. And have you spoken to Mia about it? Does she understand it? She doesn't understand that she potentially has siblings yeah. out there. She's a very much a mother hen and she kind of mothers all the other kids at school. Right. So I know that, you know, she if she wants to be, she'll be a great mum, you know, if that happens for her. But I also know in the same way that you're talking about Daisy, that if I you know some miraculous some miracle did happen and I did have another child um that she would hate it (laughs) in the same way you know she's had five years of my soul attention and yeah that'd be hard to adjust to wouldn't it It would be a hard to adjust yeah yeah and how was your pregnancy Alpha how did you hard right (laughs) I had so first trimester a lot of um nausea which is quite hard to hide (laughs) <laughs> when no one knows that you're pregnant yeah. um I wasn't actually sick at any point but there was a lot of nausea and traveling on the tube to work was just awful and then I developed a lot of pelvic issues and hip problems right I started doing pregnancy yoga from about 15 16 weeks which helped a bit but I had a lot of problems with my hips and my, and my pelvic area at work I was just sitting on yoga ball all the time at home I was sitting on a yoga ball yeah so it was quite a hard pregnancy and they kept telling me I was going to have a big baby (laughs) so I was freaking out a bit they said like eight to nine pounds so yeah I was freaking out a little bit as well I didn't find out the sex so and someone said to me that you don't get very many surprises as an adult so it's quite Mm. nice you know and it's going to be one or the other so, <laughs> I'm a control freak. I, I was like, no, no, I can't yeah. I was going to say, I bet you found out. <laughs> Massive control freak. I mean, I was a bit surprised when I went to my 20 week scan that the snographer was like, why don't you want to know? You know, really? I've not yeah, he was before. a bit, he was a bit quite rude and abrupt. And oh. he was like, you know, I can just tell you right now if you want to. I was like, no, I don't want to know. And I, my mum and dad had come along to quite a lot of the scans. They were, they were living in North Wales, but they still live in North Wales and in London, but they would come down for the scans and things which was lovely having their them there and to share that journey Aww. with me but for that 20 week scan it was on a day they couldn't make it so I was there on my own and I was just night I was just I just said to him no I don't want to know you know I want to leave it until till they're actually here 
so baby was called bubs all the way no. through no my baby shower was all about bubs <laughs> I still call her bubs oh. um, <laughs> yeah so I remember you know my mum used to phone me and like you know how you doing how's bubs and things like that so yeah, but, yeah. And, uh, I don't know about you but I, I felt dreadful those first three months I felt really nauseous and uh, really really tired so yeah. I remember leaving work at like bang on the dot of five which would never ever do and going home and just literally like sitting on the sofa until I went to bed and then went to bed I was actually quite relieved to be single at that point because I just thought the thought of having to make <laughs> any sort of effort with anybody yeah I could just sort of hibernate and do my own thing yeah and just get through those yeah. three months yeah I, I was kind of the opposite I was I, I mean I was exhausted but I also developed insomnia uh, and I've I've always had trouble sleeping and Mia has now unfortunately picked that up from oh me as well no. <laughs> and how was the birth so I chose to have a elective c-section right so that was I've got an anxiety disorder so I was freaking out about going into labor and being on my own at home living in London obviously I wouldn't have been able to get on the tube to get to the hospital taxis uber drivers and stuff won't take you if you're in labor so I would have had to walk to the main road to hail a black cab mm. and find one that would have taken a woman in labor to hospital so I mean that would have given anyone anxiety I think and also Absolutely. because you know in your first pregnancy you do not know what labor pains are going to be like no you don't know whether or not you can cope with them what's going to happen I've also got low blood pressure which I had all throughout my pregnancy as well my blood pressure didn't get any higher and I kind of got, do tend to faint sometimes because of it. So I thought if I do pass out with the pain and I'm at home alone, what's going to happen? So, I mean, I was consultant led all the way through my pregnancy. So we just had a chat and he said, should we go for an elective section? And I said, yes. And I suppose that made you feel calmer just having yes. chosen that path then as well. Yeah. So I knew exactly, well, I knew, they gave me a week. And then so my mum and dad could also then plan to be there nice and then my mum was in the delivery suite with me she was actually born during the beast from the east in 2018 and there was oh. three inches of snow outside oh no so walk, so walk into the taxi um, outside and like trying not to slip to get to the hospital wow. and then yeah they kind of gowned us all gowned me and my mum up and took us into theatre mm. the anaesthetist was amazing I cannot praise him enough Oh. I was terrified of the needle and he was obviously he's had women terrified of it probably 99% of the time yeah true <laughs> and he was brilliant yeah she wouldn't come out even from oh. a section so they had to get the forceps to get so her she's out. been stubborn even from birth <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah so my mum's medically trained and obviously she was trying to show me she wasn't concerned but when yeah. she heard the forceps she was like what's going on and then because it was so cold, we both developed hypothermia. Oh, no. And she also was, they they realised she had an infection. She'd lost a lot of blood. They don't know where she lost the blood because they got rid of my placenta straight away. And she got rushed to Niku. So I didn't get to see her. I mean, I saw her. My mum changed her, put her first nappy on, which was lovely for my mum to be able to do that. And then she just, as she got rushed past, that was, the, that was the only time I saw her. I did, didn't hold her till she was six hours old. Aww. 
I was put into one of those beds, kind of like if you run a marathon when they have the, put the foil up around you afterwards. Yeah. This was, this was a bed made out of that kind of stuff. Right. Best bed I've ever been in. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, How were you feeling at that time? I, I was just we bit... all kinds of emotions. I didn't, I think I was just numb because yeah. I didn't know, you know, I didn't, you know, you read all the stuff about having skin to skin contact and I was like thinking, Am I going to bond with my baby because I've not had that skin to skin? Mm. And then, you know, is she okay? Is she going to be okay? You know, and then I was also starving because you do have to be nil by mouth, you know, for an elective section. Mm. And the midwife had, uh, she said, I've missed, you know, the lunch order and stuff. So she nipped up Sainsbury's around the corner and got me a sandwich. They're so kind. (laughs) I had experiences like that where they, I feel like, so many of the people who work there are so thoughtful yeah they are but yeah so they ended up doing we were in hospital for five days they couldn't figure out the source of the infection right they ended up doing brain scans heart scans MRIs they said because she was born on the Friday they said to me on the Sunday morning we need to go they're talking about meningitis and sepsis at that point so you can imagine I'm completely freaking out (laughs) you know thinking I've gone through so much to have her and she's finally here and if I lose her I don't I don't even know how I'd how I'd cope with that yeah uh, so they said we're going to go and do a lumbar puncture do you want to come and be there and watch it I said I can't watch you do that to her yeah. in in the end we were allowed home on day five she didn't have meningitis or sepsis they still never found out the source of the infection but she did have anemia when she was, they found that her iron levels were low. And I remember thinking, oh, anemia, loads of people have anemia. It's not that serious, you know, we just take iron medication for it. And then the consultant said to me, actually, you know, you need to know that worst case scenario with anemia is multiple organ failure. Wow. <laughs> Which I never knew before. No. So then obviously that then freaked me out. So, you know, made sure that she was make, get, getting her iron medication every time she was supposed to have it I think it was twice a day it's crazy that first year just a blur isn't it yeah absolutely <laughs> um I remember saying to my mum during that first year how can you not remember and then you realize that's how you don't remember yeah um, and then yeah so yeah five days in hospital and then we were allowed to come home and then she still had cannulas and stuff in but they did a service where they did hospital at home it was called so that somebody would come out and do do all the stuff with the cannulas and stuff so yeah but um, I mean I can't praise the day staff at the hospital enough the night staff were awful with me right so I was on a ward with three other mums one of which had had twins so there were five babies four mums and at night she was (laughs) she wasn't sleeping (laughs) so you know and I'd be walking up and down the corridors with the dads trying to get them to go to sleep and stuff so the mum could have a bit of a break and I remember I fell asleep also she wasn't latching you know when you have a a elective c-section you know the milk doesn't come through straight away so I had loads of issues to start off with breastfeeding and stuff so yeah one of the nurses actually said to me where's her dad why isn't he helping and I said because I'd fallen asleep feeding her and she'd had a go at me for falling asleep feeding her Obviously, it's not that's not practicing safe sleeping. I know that and I knew that beforehand, but I was so exhausted. Yeah. And she said to me, Where, where's her dad? Why isn't he helping? I just said, if you read my notes, 
I knew anything about me, you'd know she doesn't have a dad. It's just me. I'm bursting into tears. Because you're so tired, probably. So tired and just so emotional. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was awful. I did end up putting a complaint in against her because she was just and then she said, I can't help you with your baby. I've got 20 other babies to help look after. Isn't that interesting? Because I had such a different experience because I was in hospital as well for I think it was I think it was three or four nights because I had an infection as well. And nurses could not have been better. The the very first night was awful because, say, Daisy also didn't want to sleep. Um, She's crying and you've just had a cesarean and you don't know what you're doing and you're a bit delirious, aren't you? And, you know, I kept on having to ring the bell. You can't pick them up and put them down. And so... (laughs) Um, so the first night was hard, but the second night they said to me, do you want me to take her for a little bit so you can just get a little bit of sleep? And they both, t- two nights on the run, they took her for about four hours. Oh, wow. Um, and at that point, I was like, yeah. They said, are you breastfeeding? And I said, yes. And they so they brought her back for me to feed because otherwise they would have kept her and they would have... N- no, in fact, one of them, I said yes, but one of the nights they gave her a bottle just so that I could get a bit more of a stretch of sleep. And I thought, yeah. gosh, isn't that so good that they're doing that? So it just, it shows it's so dependent on the people in the hospital. It is so, so dependent on the people. Yeah, so I, the day staff at the hospital, I can't fault enough they were amazing but at night my mum would come early in the morning and leave and then my dad would come a little bit later on and then they'd leave you know kind of early evening ish and I just remember I'd I'd burst into tears after they'd go because I'm a kind of person who has had to learn to ask for help Mm. you know I've always been very independent very I can do this by myself which is where Mia gets it from as well Mm. Uh, so you know and also I'm I'm aware that you know my mum and dad's or in their 70s I don't want my mum sitting on a chair through the night Mm. (laughs) I'd rather her get a good night's sleep so that she can help me during the day yeah so I just yeah those those nights were just I was just in tears all the time and then fortunately my mum would come and she'd take her and you know let me have some sleep obviously during the day you can't get as much sleep because there's so much noise and stuff and it's so um, bright and loud. Yes, I think, yeah, yeah, so bright. And it's, you know, the hospital is so hot. Yeah, <laughs> especially, yeah. you know, you have the delivery wards and the postnatal wards and things. So, yeah, it was, I was just so glad to get home. <laughs> so it was a tough start. Tough, tough start, yeah. And are your parents a key part of your support network? Yes, yeah, so I was originally living in London and then my plan was to stay in London. My mum and dad were in North Wales and but we stayed in London for two weeks and then I was going to do my mat leave in North Wales because you know we live on the North Wales coast it's got the beach it's got the mountains and I just thought it's a nice place to to spend your mat leave yeah yeah so we moved in with my mum and dad and it was great because my brother has two kids but they live in the Netherlands so you know they have a great relationship with my niece and nephew but they don't see them all the time. And, but with Mia, you know, they spent every day of her first 10 months with her pretty much. Yeah. And yeah, then I got, so I was working on a consultancy basis in the NHS. So when I left to have her, my job finished. And then I got offered a job in Manchester, which is where we met. Yeah. (laughs) And working for a PR agency in Manchester. 
and that was tough that was that was really tough so initially they would they were no you need to do I was doing four days a week but they said you need to do four days in the office mm. while you're on probation for three for three months so living in a flat a one-bedroom flat in Manchester with a baby that doesn't sleep mm. I I had a lot of mum guilt because we'd be at the nursery doors at half seven when it opened I'd be one of the last parents to pick her up as well she loved nursery always has done she's been to a few different ones and I know she didn't know any different but I had the mum guilt of she's the first one there she's the last one to be picked up this is not what I wanted to become a mum for for somebody else to be bringing up my child and it was tough because you know she didn't nap when she was when she was a baby all nursery staff will tell you oh you know we can get a child to nap but no problem and even they admitted defeat with Mia <laughs> um, which is reassuring in some ways because then you think okay it's not me, not me. It's yeah. Not me. yeah my yeah. child just doesn't like to sleep yeah less uh, reassuring <laughs> but, yeah. But, yeah and it, I've come to terms with that after five years <laughs> fair enough fair enough so yeah it'd be like two hours trying to get her to sleep she had a cot in my room but she would always end up in bed with me mm. and it was just a really tough existence so you know we'd get back from work about six o'clock do all the jobs I had to do as well at home as well as trying to spend a bit of time with her bath time bedtime two hours trying to get her to sleep and I was just exhausted so I just go to sleep at like when she after she'd gone to sleep and that is no life for anybody no. so my mental health suffered quite a lot then we after I did my three months probation we I did kind of arrange it so I would have my day off was a Thursday and then I'd work from home on a Friday so we came back to my mum and dad's on a Wednesday night and stayed till Sunday. So I had half the week with my mum and dad and half the week on my own. And that was easier. My mum would, on a Wednesday night when I'd get back, because it was her bedtime after work, she'd go and do bedtime for me, which was lovely. But, you know, just having that offer of somebody else to do bedtime is... I, I saw your I saw your story Instagram, about it. yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I just I casually... My mum yeah. just casually said, do you want me to do bedtime? And I was like... Oh my god yes please it's, it's like yeah. the best offer anyone can ever give you ever ever offer you I mean now Mia, Mia won't sleep for anyone but me right. so no one else can do bedtime but at that age you know she was used to me and my mum doing it so yeah. it, it was a big help then um, that's one of the reasons why this is what I tell my parents anyway that's one of the reasons why I try to get my parents to regularly do it so that there's a routine and my yeah. so so my mum does it once a week so I'm super lucky because that just saves me it saves my mental health I think it's just that one yeah. day that you get off and but but genuinely as well then it's just the norm so Daisy yeah. knows Thursday is granny day and so because it's so hard if no one else can do it isn't it because it's, yeah it's it's the kind of relentless it's bedtime again I mean now it's now, now bedtime is easier because she's older she understands I'm not going to stay with her till yeah. she goes to sleep I'm, I'm here I'm around yeah but you know mummy's got other things to do yeah uh, so yeah so I've then then kind of I got a job early 2020 I got a job back in North Wales and then Covid happened mm. and we came we came back that weekend just before the first lockdown Mia had a temperature of 39.9 mm. <laughs> I was freaking out, obviously, because at that point, COVID kills. You know, you didn't know it was yeah. kind of indiscriminate. We didn't know who it affected more, what we could kind of do. So, she, yeah, she gave me quite a few scares, actually. Yeah. 
<laughs> and then we ended up saying that my job unfortunately fell through because of COVID. And I then decided to retrain as a teacher. Amazing. Yeah. So is that what you're doing now? Yes. So I'm a lecturer now at college. I do post-16 education. I teach people how to get online. So a lot of elderly people, they feel left behind since COVID with, you know, everything going online during COVID. Mm. So it's how to use a tablet, how to use a laptop, you know, how to send an email, how to search the internet. Brilliant. All that kind of stuff. And they, they're so lovely. And I also do office skills for people looking to get back into work, teach them how to use Microsoft Office, basically. And so presumably that fits in a lot better around... Yes, around childcare. Yeah. So, yeah. And I get the school holidays off. Amazing. Living the dream. <laughs> yeah. Although after, after last summer, seven weeks, every minute of every day. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Less, yeah, less. So my holidays are the same as me as Mia's holidays. So I don't yeah. get child-free time at all yeah only when I'm at work and she's at school so yeah I was suggesting to someone the other day who was saying the same oh but you can't can you in your job I was saying to take annual leave just to have some time to yourself and do a a sneaky spa day (laughs) so um... I do have Fridays to myself Monday's my Monday's my kind of admin day when I've got to do all my marking lesson planning all that kind of stuff yeah and Fridays I do, I still keep to myself. I'm also involved, I'm on the PTA committee at mm. school. So there's always stuff going on, <laughs> but it's quite nice. You know, I, I do the food shop and get everything sorted for the weekend. So, and then I'm not the weekend. We do spend the weekends at my mum and dad's. They only live five minutes down the road anyway, but we spend the weekend at my mum and dad's. Gives right. me a, a break from the relentlessness of it. It's always yeah. still obviously mummy, mummy, mummy. Yeah. But there is also ad- other adults around, you know, I don't have to think about cooking any food. Yeah. You know, I can get a cup of tea made for me. Yeah, it's the that small things, stuff. isn't it? Yeah, so I can just then be mum rather than having to think about all the adult stuff as well. Yeah. So, so I, yeah, I try to get all the kind of weekend jobs done on a fri- Friday so that I'm there for Mia. Obviously, I can't do a uniform till she's home from school, but it's, yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a constant juggle, isn't it? Trying to give yeah. enough attention to them versus all the stuff that life. needs managing. Yeah, man, being an adult, you know, yeah. and all the stuff that comes with it. You know, some of my friends in partnerships, in partners, husbands, whatever, and they, you know, they'll moan and stuff about <laughs> about their other halves. And people, people, you know, people always moan about their lots. You know, that that's yeah. part of what we do, yeah. whatever your situation is. But you know, I I said as one of them once. You know, it's just even if if they they don't help out with the kids as much as you want, or they don't help out around the house as much as you want, it's just being able to say to that other adult, "Oh, can you just go and put a you know pan of pan of water on for so we can have some pasta?" Or yeah. you know, can you just you know clear clear the plates from the table? You know that kind of stuff. And you may have to nag them to do it, but it's just yeah, it's just another having somebody hands, else, or it? even someone else, another adult, just say, "Here's a cup of tea." <laughs> yeah yeah you won't get to drink it because it'll still it'll get cold but here's the tea <laughs> yeah no it yeah. can it can be a lot for sure I I am very lucky because my parents live a few minutes around the corner and they they are in and out I get one night yeah. but then they, they they pop in and out as well which gives me bits of time <laughs> and I I try sometimes to drop Daisy at my mum's just for an hour yeah so I can do the supermarket shop or so I can do that life admin type yeah because it's it's hard doing it with them isn't it 
Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, Mia loves doing it, especially if you go to a supermarket where they've got those little trolleys as well. Yes. <laughs> I just hate taking Daisy to the supermarket because it takes twice as long. Yeah. And then I end up spending twice as much money. Or you're, or you're having such negotiation of, no, we don't need those chocolate yeah. biscuits. Or, <laughs> no, you can't have another toy. And, and you, you know, they've made it so you can't go past the toy section before, you know, it's so I, it's really hard. Yeah. I, I much prefer not taking it. I do often have to take it, but I try Yeah, to. I, I, I prefer doing everything like that without her yeah. it was great when she would sit in the you know in the trolley yes those were the days when they were those contained were the days, yeah. and she was completely <laughs> oblivious but now it's like yeah. oh mummy can we can we have that can we have that can we yeah. have that I'm like, okay right so I mean I'm trying to get me at all to understand the value of money yes and that if we spend if I spend you know only having one income as well yeah and because I was doing a PGCE I didn't my income did drop quite a lot yeah so uh she has to, I feel like she has to understand that if we spend money on one thing, that means that we might not be able to spend money on other yeah. things. So we went to see Frozen in London between just before New Year, I think it was. And she wanted, and I know you've been to see Frozen. Mm. <laughs> it is mm. amazing. Yeah, but it is um, really expensive. Yeah, well, I managed to get cheap tickets. Ah, uh, okay. Uh, on, on some deal or something. And so we only paid 20 quid for our tickets. Oh, amazing. <laughs> But, you know, when they're selling the dolls at the interval uh, and the merchandise. So we had an aisle seat and there was, the woman was stood right next to me on, on the aisle. Uh, Mia said, Mummy, can I have a doll, please? Can I have an Elsa doll? So I was thinking, OK, I will spend up to 20 quid because I'm thinking this this is London. It's the West End. Uh, I've lived in London for a long time. Uh, uh, and when she said to me 30 quid, I did almost... <laughs> just go excuse me what so I said to me I explained you know okay so it's a lot of money and so if we spend the money on this this means that you know you don't get something else Mm. and she said okay mummy I won't have a princess at my party so I was like this is getting through this is good (laughs) Uh, well she said she said does the princess at my party cost money so I said yes she said okay mummy I won't have a princess at my party but can I still have a party? I said, yes. Oh, oh that's good. I'm, yeah. I'm trying to do the same with Daisy. We go swimming and when you give the wristband back for the locker, yeah. they give you a pound. And so Daisy takes the pounds and she said, can I take the pound and then I'll save up the pounds and then I can buy something. So I was like, okay, yes, so that is a good way. So I said, but a pound doesn't buy you very much. So you need to save up. <laughs> we'll save up a few. And then when we've got enough, we'll go and buy something. So we go to the shop with this pound because I needed to pick something else up there's a Barbie thing that's 26 99 and she says, mummy, can I have that with the pounds? And it's like, no, <laughs> we can go swimming 27 times and then you can have that. <laughs> um, yeah. But I'm trying to teach her the same. You can't have something every time we go somewhere. That's yeah. not how it works. The other thing I wanted to chat to you about, Alpa, was just ethnicity. So some people who come on my courses or my coaching clients are worried about, you know, being from a different ethnic background, (laughs) maybe a slightly more traditional views. Is it going to be harder? Did you find anything from that point of view? No, I didn't. I, I was very lucky, I think. My family's very laid back. Right. Fairly, I mean, they are traditional, but in a more westernized way. So they've, you know, adapted to Western culture. A lot of my extended family live in the States. 
right. instead of from India, where my family's originally from. Right. So I think it was a shock to everybody because they didn't find out till I must have been about yeah, 25 weeks, 25, 30 weeks pregnant when they got told. <laughs> but on the whole, people were supportive. Any kind of issues, comments were from a place of care and concern you know that it's it's hard being a parent you know you, you're going to need a lot of support which you would say to anybody you know being a parent you know that saying being a parent is the best but the hardest job in the world yeah and you know I understand that that came from that position but yeah I didn't get any comments directed at me about you shouldn't be doing this because it's not what we believe in what we've you know our culture says we should be doing some of my cousins and things have married non-Indian people anyway so right it's not you know where everybody has an arranged marriage type thing or you know everybody has to marry within within the culture or caste even yeah and obviously yeah. and you've got a caste system as well so yeah I've been very lucky and very fortunate from that perspective that my family has been very very supportive and you know thanks to technology they, a lot of them see her on, on phone calls and stuff right and they, just, they just adore her oh, um, nice. she doesn't look very Indian and I'm very fair anyway the donor I picked wasn't my ethnicity either right he I've I've never been attracted to Indian men physically yeah. that's just my choice in the same way that you know some people go for blondes some people go for brunettes but, you know dark-haired men so mine is actually Caucasian Canadian Right. who's living who was living in London don't know if he still is so yeah and based on you know what he said on his on his profile that's that's the reason I chose him yeah so. yeah that and it's so good isn't it because it's just an added pressure yeah. if you've got to manage family yeah. who are struggling what I found is sometimes it's not even they're not even struggling for them. It's more what they're going to say so to extended to other people, yeah. family or to other people. Yeah, yeah. So it's just helpful when that's yeah. not. Yeah, the, the support I've had from my family has been amazing in that respect. And also I've seen people on, you know, the Facebook groups and stuff, your Facebook group and other Facebook groups talk about choosing donors from outside the, the ethnic group. Mm. And I always, I always put a comment on them if I see it saying, you know, I chose a donor his ethnicity wasn't the biggest issue for me but you know I was quite happy to do that I am teaching Mia about her culture so you know we celebrate we celebrate Diwali she loves spicy food she can take she can take a lot more spice than I can yeah yeah (laughs) Um, she loves Indian food so that's the other good thing with being at my mum and dad's at a weekend is that you know my mum cooks all the food because I'll just do you know easy food you know because I don't have a lot of time my mum was also teaching her so I can understand Hindi but I can't I don't have the confidence to speak it right and my mum's trying to teach us some words as well so I love the fact that she has got that relationship with her grandparents that you know they can do that with her because I didn't have a relationship with my grandparents recently because really because they lived in another country right they you know we didn't have the same technology back then they you know English wasn't their first language they'd come over for a couple of weeks and I'd be getting to know them and then they'd leave again and I wouldn't see them for a year or two so it wasn't the same relationship and I, I that's one thing I wanted Mia to have was have an amazing relationship 
with her grandparents. Oh, yeah. So it's really, I think it's particularly important if there's no father in their lives yeah. that they've got either with the grandparents or or if for people who haven't got grandparents around other members, yeah. it's really nice to be able to Yeah, and she that. completely bosses them around. And tells <laughs> of them <to> course. Do. <laughs> you know, we sat down for lunch <laughs> and on Sunday and she's like, you sit there, you sit there. <laughs> <laughs> telling everyone where to it sit very um, we couldn't start eating until my mum had sat down and started eating and then you know she says okay who's going to finish first and because my mum is quite you know was taking her time and stuff so we had to wait for my mum so that my mum could finish first and yeah brilliant, brilliant. <laughs> and Alpa what advice would you give to people who are considering solo parenthood I would say if you're considering it obviously think about all the options financially it is hard I did take a drop in in my wages to what I was earning pre-pregnancy and then going on and retraining and doing another career I wasn't earning very much but fortunately had some family support so yeah financially just having that one income stream is is tough but in the end if you do come to the to, to make the decision to have a baby and then you are lucky enough to get pregnant it will be the best thing you have ever done being a mum she's the greatest gift that I could have ever I'm getting emotional now ever received and every day she is a, you know I just I just look at her and I can't I, I still can't believe that she's mine sometimes no I love I was, the way you I was, talk what, about her yeah, I was watching her eat a breakfast this morning. She was just stuffing toast into her mouth. It was just crumbs going everywhere. <laughs> and some of the mornings I'd be like, you know, oh, trying to, you know, I've got to clean. That's another thing I've got to clear up afterwards yeah. and things. But I was just like, I can't believe that you're my little girl. And Aww. she looks, it's a spitting image of me as well. She's like my mini me. And I love it when my mum says, you know, she, my mum sometimes picks her up from school and she goes to the same primary school I used to go to. So she's wearing the same uniform. She wears my old school tie that I still had. And my mum will say, you know, it's like when she used to come to pick me up and she comes running towards her. It's just like back in time. But yeah, I would say if if you do decide to go for it, and obviously you have to decide based on your own circumstances, your own finances, your own support network and things. And moving back home, I never thought I'd move back to North Wales. I was a city girl. I loved living in London, but it, I, I don't regret it for a second you know that's I had a very very spontaneous life in London you know somebody messages during the day to fancy a drink tonight to fancy going for a meal yeah yeah you know I didn't have any commitments I'd but I wouldn't have that life now in London I, I would be at home every evening while all my friends were going out and doing things yeah. in an evening yeah. uh, so, uh, and I also wouldn't be seeing her at all because she'd be in childcare all day oh, and now I get to pick her up from school most of the week I get to take her to school every morning and it's just the best thing I ever did no Aww. regrets at all yeah, my, actually my only regret was probably not doing it <laughs> yes so many people say the same yeah Alpa thank you so much for thank you so much Mel sharing your story really really interesting thank you thanks very much If you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast and would like to access bonus episodes featuring donor-conceived people, psychologists and other experts, you can head over to my website, thestalkandi.com, to subscribe to the Thriving Solo Membership. 
For $2.99 a month, you'll get access to members-only episodes as well as the entire back catalogue. You'll get access to useful resources and a monthly community call, which are a great opportunity to meet people in a similar situation to you. On my website, you can also find more information about the coaching I offer. You can also follow me on Instagram at thestalkandi.com to get an insight into the realities of solo parent life.